0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Amazon Seller Happy Hour. I'm Leslie Hensel, your host, and we are sponsored, of course, by Riverbend Consulting. And we are here to talk about solving problems for Amazon sellers and vendors. And I have some really cool guests with me today because they are going to demystify a subject that we have so many conversations with y'all about, oh my goodness, um, because there is a lot of confusion in the marketplace around GS1 and barcodes and when you have to have a GS one barcode and when you can get a GTI and exception and all of these things. So I have with me two lovely people from GS one. I have Shane Morris and Megan. Oh, I don't want to say your name wrong. Oh, it's Baumer. <laughs> Baumer, Thank you, Megan. So thank you both for being with me today we're super excited (laughs) well okay so let's start with the basics because this is a subject where even super experienced sellers on amazon are not clear on what is gs1 all they know is that amazon tells them you have to have a gs1 barcode so talk a little just about the structure of gs1 why it exists and what it does
1: okay um, well, a lot of people don't know this, but GS1 U.S. is actually a supply chain standards organization. Um, we develop and maintain the most widely used supply chain standards in the world. Um, we are not for profit. We're a neutral organization and we're user driven. Um, the Most of the people, like you were saying, who do know about us, they associate us with as the uh, issuer administrator of the UPC barcode, which, believe it or not, is a key cornerstone of the global supply chain Um but we do a lot more than that. So we engage with communities of so we work with trading partners, industry organizations, government um, solution providers to understand and respond to the business needs through the uh, um, adoption and implementation of global standards. So commerce standards um, globally. So we're a federated organization. So there's GS1 Global and then each country or geography has its own um. You know, so like GS1 U.S. is established to handle the businesses within the United States because the nuances of businesses between countries is different. Um, Globally, our organization is driven by over one million user companies, and we execute more than six billion transactions daily in over 150 countries.
2: And and Leslie, if I might, I'd like to dive a little more into what it means to be sort of user driven. Yeah. Uh, so as Shane mentioned, we we bring businesses and industry organizations, universities, governments all together to talk through business problems and create standards that will address those problems. So the UPC came about because of long lines at checkout at grocery stores and, you know, all the pricing confusion that was created by having cashiers hand type in prices. And, you know, one current example of work being done is we do have a group that's examining best practices for sharing product images and other product attributes uh, between business partners and you can really see how that would apply to online businesses who are working in an omnichannel sales strategy
0: so i am old enough to remember when you go to the grocery store on the weekend with mom and the cashiers are actually punching in all the prices and calling for price checks It was so inefficient. Some of them were amazingly fast. I mean, they were like people who did 10 key where you're like, wow, how do you do that? But um, I mean, this is, it's like now we don't even see it as a solution. It is a solution. But I can see how in the supply chain now, uh, people don't even think about the complexities of how barcodes are important internationally to protect like IP and to make sure that the products are actually the correct products and that there is isn't confusion in different catalogs things of that nature. They're just, honestly, y'all, GS1 gets used as a negative word by Amazon sellers because they don't, they don't understand what GS1 is. They're thinking of it as it's something mean and bad that I have to do, but that's not, that's not the case. Amazon chooses this standard, not (laughs) y'all.
1: Well, that's that's true. And, um, you know, it's funny because I often think about it. it, One way to look at it. So if you're a seller with like, I'm being told to do this and I have to do this is one way to think about it is from a retailers or a marketplace's perspective. So if you take Amazon, for example, they have millions of brand owners, they have hundreds of millions of products, you know, think of everything that they have listed on their website. Um, They have to have an efficient way to index every single one of those products and GS1 standards, our system of standards, that's what it provides.
2: And, you know, think about the consumer perspective. You know, if, if if you're trying to order a purple shirt in large and things are unclear and you get a blue shirt in small, you know, that's not a really good experience, right? So, so sort of codifying product identification really helps the consumer as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think it also helps brand owners tremendously as a part of, IP protection and not having confusion in catalogs when you like you're a, a brand and multiple distributors carry your products and they're sending their catalogs out to multiple resellers. If you don't have a consistent UPC for those or a consistent barcode, that's going to get really confusing. Things your your products aren't going to be marketed correctly either. Um so so since I just messed up and said UPC and then barcode, um talk some about GTIN versus UPC versus a barcode.
1: Okay, so um, the acronyms are often used interchangeably. We even do the same thing within our organization, um, but they aren't necessarily the same thing. So a GTIN, which you just said GTIN, we call it a, we call it a GTIN. You can call it whatever you want. That stands for Global Trade Item Number. So that is the number that is generated um, and used to identify trade items. Trade items are categorized as anything that can be um, priced, ordered, or invoiced. So anything that's kind of scanning across checkout. GTINs come in various lengths. So the global trade item numbers, various lengths, but most commonly in the U.S., we use the GTIN-12. So it's a 12-digit number. Europe and the rest of the world uses EAN, which is European article number. It's a 13-digit number. The nice thing to know about that, though, is a GTIN-12, or an EAN can be used interoperably and interchangeably. So I could have a U.S. product listed over in Europe, has a, a GTIN 12 on it, and it would still scan over there and vice versa. So um, it's just essentially where you're sourcing that number from. Um, so GTINs, what they are is they're product identifiers. they for listing online. That's the number that's going to u- uniquely identify your item. Um, They kind of bridge the gap between a product's physical presence and its online identity. But speaking to what you were talking about, it also can prove that product's authenticity. Um, You know, it's like a license plate. So your car, you get a, you purchase an automobile and you're going to source your license plate for your car from the DMV, the kind of the issuing authority. And that license plate number can be looked up and somebody can see, yes, that car is actually registered to, you know, less. So that's how it works. Um, a UPC barcode, then. So is so it is happy hour. So I've got my can. This is water. I don't know. If you can you? And so this is the UPC barcode. So that is the lines and spaces. Um, it's machine readable. But if you can see this little number down below, that is the GTIN. So when this is scanned, what that machine is looking up is actually the global trade item number. This is just the machine readable version.
2: And often, you know, the G1012, which is the number that goes in that barcode, a lot of times online, it just gets called the UPC. And it's, it's that structure of the G10, uh, basically. So, but, but one other thing that's really important uh, about GS1 standards is they are technology agnostic. So while your listeners are very familiar with the UPC barcode, uh, they might not realize that barcodes can actually be created in, in two dimensions, which is essentially nice. what a QR code is. Um, and GS1 US is actually spearheading an initiative called Sunrise 2027, in which uh, in, U.S. industry is pushing to have checkout systems ready to read a 2D barcode by 2027. Uh, so think about the real the opportunity uh, of that uh, standardized 2D barcode QR code um, that is phone readable and it pre- that it's presenting for your products because suddenly all that marketing that you can that lives with your product listing online can sit on the shelf with your product or can sit in your you know
0: end customer's cabinet with the product at home okay i have to ask you a random question now because y'all are the people who can actually answer this question and this is something that's been brought up to me by more than one person is there a risk or challenge with running out of G10 barcodes or 2D barcodes. So <laughs> um, go ahead, <laughs> <What is she? laughs>
1: Well, the so the um, the 2D barcode, for example, that a, a barcode is just a data carrier. So that the 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 G10 is not going to change in our system of standards. You know, I don't think that we can. I think the, the way the system works, it, we cannot run out um, of of numbers. Of, uh, within the numbering system. the 2d barcode that's just a again a data carrier just like the UPC is just a data carrier so it's that 2d barcode is just carrying that number. Um, you know I don't know if we need to get into the weeds here but like a UPC barcode today it can only carry x amount of data I think it's like 84 digits. Um, don't quote me on that. The 2d barcode what that that does is it it's it's, it's basically indefinite the amount of data that it can carry. So for B2B businesses, a brand owner can um, they can not only put the G10 in there, it can hold price information, it can hold batch lot. it can hold expiration. So you think about how critical that is in a in an environment where you have to track and trace and for recalls and things like that. But then it can also be embedded with these URI links where the brand can embed their proprietary product information that they that they want to be um, consumer facing. So it's it's going to kind of serve as a dual purpose, but the number itself, um, no, I, I don't think that it's it's going to run out. But you know what? We can confirm that back um, later with you. Um, I, I've never had anybody ask that question.
2: It, and it is a living standard. So if mm-hmm. you know, if we got to the point where there were so many products that every single number had been used, in theory, we could make you know minor adjustments to the standard to allow it to extend a little bit. Business would have to come together and figure out the best way to <laughs> do might. it.
0: See, I just love that I had somebody could ask that question because I've had multiple sellers come to me with this question. So this it's it's very interesting that um, and, and you know both times uh, or all three times, three times I think I've been asked this question in the last like two three months, and I've been like ah. And then I've also thought like for two D barcodes, I thought the point was that they had so much data that could be attached to them, so that would seem weird to me, but. But I don't know. So I'm just excited. I could like totally throw you a curveball and get an answer to that question. So that was really fun. <laughs> we'll, for me. we'll go Thank ahead you. and try to get it added to our FAQ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. OK, so let's talk about um, GS1 members. You have members of GS1 here in the U.S. What kind of concerns do they bring up in trends? What are the things that they're talking about right now?
2: Yeah, so so love that question, Leslie. Really gets to the heart of the fact that we're member-driven. You know, anyone who licenses a G10 or prefix through us is a member, right? So you may not realize, but if you did that, you're a member. Um, and for example, uh, we're in the process of hosting small business roundtables at events throughout the country. We're going to be doing this for the next year or so. And so far, one of the key themes um, we're hearing from our small businesses is actually very similar to what we're hearing from large businesses as well, which is the necessity to diversify your supply chain and make sure to have a lot of partners. You know, we all have heard those horror stories about your packaging stuck on a boat somewhere, you know, and... In a canal or, <laughs> or at a port right um and so ha- being able to draw on multiple partners to solve those problems and pivot is is something that's been very important for businesses of all sizes and then that's mirrored in in sort of a desire to uh, create a multi-channel sales approach that allows you to reach the biggest customer base possible so we also to get some great answers to this question tapped uh, our incredible member services team that a lot of people may not realize we have. They're real people and they're super knowledgeable and you can reach them by phone in a pretty short wait time, <laughs> generally less than a minute. Um, so we, we asked them, you know, what are people calling and emailing about? And, and two things really bubbled up. Um, the first is that as of 2021, we now offer the ability to license a single G10. Previously, you had to do it in a prefix, which was like a pack of 10 G10s. But you know, we all know there's been so many side hustles and and new businesses come up uh, in the wake of the pandemic, and you know, as businesses get started or businesses that maybe only have a handful of products, being able to license just one G10 uh, is really allows them access to the standard that they might feel overwhelmed by the larger pack. So. Um, the single GTIN doesn't have a renewal fee and it works a little bit different in some ways. So there's been a lot of questions about that, people making sure they're doing that properly when they're licensing that single GTIN. Uh, The second thing we get a lot of questions about are how to log into our data hub tool. Um, And this is a tool, it's, it's free for anyone who licenses a prefix or a single GTIN, and you can use it to manage your product data, assign your GTINs, you know, share product data with some of your business partners. Um, but it also is a place where you can create your barcodes, you know, you can create your image files for UPC barcodes. And a lot of people think of us as the barcode people. So when they get sort of a number, (laughs) they're often a little confused, like
0: where's my my barcode
2: and that's, that's a place they can go on to get it.
0: So if I'm, I'm a small business, I'm a private label seller. Uh, I want to launch one or two new products this year, but I have dreams and I want to have a whole line of products that are in my head that I'm I'm just starting with one or two. Um, What are some pros and cons when you're talking about the prefix, you know, buying a prefix? And can you explain a little bit about what that means, why you would or wouldn't buy a prefix, why you would buy just one instead of a pack?
1: Yeah, the prefix, like um, Megan was saying, they come in they come in different um, quantities, if you will. So there's a, there's a 10, there's a hundred, there's a thousand, there's a 10,000, there's a hundred thousand, um, prefix, you know, so that prefix number that you're going to get, is going to, if you did the hundred thousand, it's going to generate a hundred thousand global trade item numbers. Um, so really it depends, like you're saying as a, as a small business who might just have one or two products, it might be worth your while to, um, source a single g10 as you get started but as you start to scale and grow you might want to start looking at um, having a prefix as i said at the beginning um the within we are a global supply chain standards organization and we have other standards beyond the g10 um some of those standards there on all these standards are interoperable with one another so some of these standards require you to have a prefix so for example um A good example of that is a GS1-128 with a serialized container um, code on an SSCC label. Amazon accepts those. um, And it's what that is, is a a logistic unit identifier. So it's a a serialized identifier that will identify that that logistic unit. You have to have a prefix, um, you know, in order to generate that.
2: And, you know, the that kind of sets you up to be poised for growth yeah. um, and increase in the future. And you know, it's sort of per G ten, it's more cost effective. So it's it's really a good it's a it's a business decision. You know, based on you know what you think you're going to need in the long term and the short term, and you know, and and you know, it's really down to the individual what they think works best for them.
0: So if you think you're going to play with the big boys someday, and you're concerned about logistics and being able to use different programs like Amazon Global Logistics, things like that, where you might have your factory handing off inventory to someone else for customs, then it might behoove you to have a prefix, because I'm assuming that some of the things you were talking about for logistics are related to like customs and other challenges. Yes, yeah,
2: sure. And, yeah. and, you know, your ability to sort of track pa-
0: pallets, for example, through the supply chain. Right. Interesting. Wow, that's a lot to think about because it is a big difference financially if you go for the 10 or if you go for the single. Um, But, you know, if you've got a little capital, it might be might be worth it to go for the 10. that would definitely show what your dreams and hopes are.
1: Yeah. And, you know, our member services team, they have these conversations with um, with companies every day. So people ask these kind of questions like, here's what I'm thinking and I've got these products, but here's where I'm looking at the future. And they'll talk them right through it um, and help them out.
0: So, with like, so when Amazon says to someone, Hey, for your product, you need a GS1 barcode, um, I'm sure that you know what some people do. They go to places like eBay and they will buy barcodes that I don't, or UPCs that I don't know where they came from. (laughs) And they just buy these random UPCs and upload that as the identifier. And, you know, the short term, that short-term fix can become a problem if Amazon detects that you're using some random barcode. It's like it's kind of like getting one that fell off the back of a truck when people talk about <laughs> inventory that fell off the back of a truck. It's like a barcode that fell off the back of a truck, right? Um, but can you talk a little about any challenges that you've seen something like this cause or challenges that it could cause for people who associate these random barcodes with their products?
1: You know, the, the, the way I look at this question and, and um, you know, the, an Amazon seller might be asking themselves, why GS1 G G10s? I'm, I'm presented with a choice. Why should I select GS1 GTINs? Why can't I just make up my own 12-digit number or why can't I source it from somebody else? And I, I think that's, you know, why Megan are, and I are here in this space is to communicate that GS1 does have a system of standards and the standard that stands behind that number does guarantee that um, that number that we are issuing will be unique and it will never be replicated so that will be a unique number it will not be replicated in the marketplace it will be associated with the licensing company and it will be stored in the G- in a gs1 database um, so then it can be verified by a retailer or marketplace when they need to verify it so that would be, you know, my response to somebody who's struggling with that question.
0: Yeah, we we hear that a lot. <laughs> and I get it. I get it that it's um, daunting to spend the additional amount. But if you're in it for the long game and more and more, you know, Amazon is no longer set it and forget it. And it is no longer uh, you can just pay the minimum to get in the door and then everything's going to go great. You've got to compete long-term. And this, to me, this is one of the strategies that if you want to be long-term, you have to do the GS1 barcode because otherwise you're setting yourself up for at some point in the future, just all of a sudden you're not selling anymore, which right. is, it is not cool, especially over something so simple um, and small. And, and the single G10 hopefully will,
2: you know, it, it, it's $30 one time. So we're hoping that kind of, you know, creates an opportunity uh, for, you know, any seller to kind of get into the GS1 system at, at a reasonable po- price point.
0: Oh, yeah, Oh That's a huge improvement. I mean, that's to me, that should take away all the objections. And I think people still are back in the mindset when it was a much bigger uh, hurdle to overcome from the beginning. So hear that everyone we're talking like, I mean, you can go Buy lunch out today, or you can get your GS1 barcode for your private label product. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm in New York. I don't know about lunch out on thirty dollars, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe something vegetarian with just water. <laughs> so uh, I know you.
1: I'm going to just say, also, Leslie. You know, my background. I came from. I was a retailer, national retailer. I also was on the supply side and. What these sellers should also realize is, and listen, I'm sure a lot of them, thats they want to be on that platform and that's the only place they're going to be. As soon as they decide to pivot and potentially go into retail, and going into retail today is different than it was 10 years ago. It doesn't mean just brick and mortar. It means you can either be in their brick and mortar or you could be online. But most of the national retailers, they are. this is a requirement of theirs also. So if you are looking to scale your business and grow um, and diversify your channels, it's a worthwhile investment.
0: Absolutely. So Riverbend, we have a spinoff company called Project Retail, right. and we help people who have successful ASINs to get them into retail stores. And you wouldn't even attempt to set up a vendor number over at Walmart if you don't have GSM right. barcodes. It's not going to happen. That's That's just part of the process. And if someone doesn't have them, we say, go get them. With the prefix, like you're saying, because we're pitching multiple products, it's not even an option. So you're absolutely right about that. And uh, it's, it's something that shouldn't hold you up from those kinds of opportunities to diversify. Um, yeah, because I'm all about diversification. Okay, so I know you all work with solution providers as well. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: We can. So our membership, we're you know we're we're made up of companies of all sizes. We do micro, medium, small, all the way up to enter size, um, enterprise enterprise uh, size companies. And again, we keep hammering at home, but we're member driven. So our organization works hard to listen and respond to the things these our memberships telling us. One of the reasons our team was formed. So why Megan and I are here is a result from listening to our members. You know, e-commerce has evolved um, over the past 20 years at a rapid pace. And one significant change um, is the ecosystem of enablement companies like Riverbend Consulting that have bubbled up to help these um, e-commerce sellers optimize in in the various channels. Um, GS1 US realized, although we had relationships with many of the brands and companies, we needed to engage regularly with companies like yours that are talking to and helping these brands Navigate online on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, essentially, you guys become these brands' trusted advisors. And our goal is to help you help them navigate these retail waters um, for, for our piece of the puzzle. Um, so, essentially, we found that we can reach more brands um, with companies like yours. So, your subscribers and customers can solve for issues. Right from their trusted envir- um, advisors' environments, they don't have to leave your environment to get answers to these questions that you're asking today.
2: So, so we're trying to provide a lot of educational resources, you know, to these enablement companies. You know, we're we're on podcasts, <laughs> we're jumping in on webinars where people can ask live questions. We really want to, you know, sort of create a presence for GS1 US in the space. But we're also learning from the enablement community. Um, you know, you guys are the boots on the ground. You know the daily cha- challenges that sellers are facing in real time. And, you know, so we need to get, you know, your perspective on this whole world, um, which has really become almost a science. And, you know, just as GS1US does in other retail verticals long-term, we hope to be hosting, you know, round of, of different community members you know, in hopes to better understand the issues where GS1 standards could potentially have a positive
0: impact for sellers. So speaking of questions, we have one from LinkedIn. Lydia asks, do you recommend adding a prefix that is the same for all SKUs? So I'm I'm assuming they're asking like, if you have a line of products, is there, what is the benefit? Do I need to have a prefix that is the same for all of my product line?
2: Yeah, Um, so that's probably a great question for our member services team. (laughs) Um, You know, there's a lot of nuances to that question in terms of how you intend to, you know, sell your products and and what brands they might fall under, right? Because it might be different. You know, you might be one company with five brands. So I think that's that's probably a great question to ask them. Um, And I think, John, maybe we can get, um, you know, the information in the chat for direct directly to reach our member services team.
0: Awesome. And we can uh, put an answer in the comments later as well uh, with more details. And also, I will tell you, Lydia, from um, my experience with Amazon and with other sellers and with wholesalers, if you ever intend to sell your products via wholesale, or distributors, it really does help you to have the same prefix across your catalog because they are more likely to actually take better care of your inventory that way. They sort by that prefix when they are creating catalogs to send out to people to choose the inventory they want to buy. And then your buyers will also sort by that prefix, and they come to know the prefix, I have a couple of brands I sell that I know the prefix, and it's like a parent company prefix. And I know what it is. And I specifically look for those prefixes. So if you didn't intend to grow and scale and sell to um, distributors of any kind, instead of selling, like direct to consumer or via Amazon, um, it I think it definitely does help. That's, that's just my two cents as someone who's Done these kind of this kind of purchasing. Right. Yeah,
1: great. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of spreadsheet, you know, like data sorting, and a lot of it ends up actually being on that number. Um, but that just might be minority brain.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, talk to me about um, technology developments, interesting things that you've seen, because you are all about the tech. Um, There's a lot of retail tech that's evolved over your career, especially, Shane, since you've been in retail. Um, Talk to me about some of the most interesting developments you've seen. Yeah, so I'm going to
2: jump in first and I'm going to let Shane answer this question second, because I think he's got a a much broader perspective than I do. But um, I actually come from the nonprofit world. So for me, one of the things I've been most excited about has been all the work businesses are doing to make it really possible to understand their values and then you know, allow for consumers to engage with businesses that share the same values as them. So uh, for me, uh, is that sustainability, circularity space. You know, I'm one of the people that looks at the climate pledge friendly icon on Amazon. And, and you know, I try to buy refurbished products or products with a long life. So, you know, but for others, it might be union made or a minority owned business. And it's just so much easier with, you know, social media and all of the great, you know, charity giving apps you can use. 2D barcodes in Sunrise 2027 is going to open some doors there. Um, so it, it's, it's become, become so much more possible to shop the way you want and support businesses that stand for the same things you do.
0: I love that answer, especially since um, I'm, a, I'm an Amazon Smile person. And since my household, we buy like everything on Amazon, and I mean everything. So our Amazon smile contribution is actually way more than I would admit to people out loud. Um, (laughs) Because it reflects what we spend on Amazon. But that's a perfect example of like technology enablement of something you would think would not have been possible before. You know, to actually take a little sliver of purchases and donate back and you think of all the technology infrastructure for things like that or knowing if it's made in the USA or you know, minority owned business or whatever. That's, that's a great answer. I love that.
1: Great. Well, now I'll answer. And my answer is a lot more high level um, because, you know, Leslie, I'm not sure how old you are and I'm not going to ask, but my age, um, and I've been working some facet of retail my entire life. So I've lived through a lot of technological advancements um, but the, I would have to say when thinking about this question, probably the most interesting and the most impactful thing that I have seen in my career is how the Internet has just democratized owning a business and getting goods into the marketplace. I mean, that that turned everything upside down. And, um, you know, I worked for a national retailer. I worked as a national supplier. This was pre-Internet, you know, so I started in retail pre-Internet. So back then, if a supplier brand wanted to get their goods into the market, they did not have a lot of options you would have to get a face to face and, you know, e call email buyers, get a face to face appointment with them, or go to a trade show. And then that didn't guarantee that you would get your product placed. It was costly um, in, you know, to, to, to do that process. And um, again, this, the, the, Internet coming on board has just turned that model completely upside down. And um, I would say that to me, just in my career, has been the the most impactful thing. Um, Secondly, so I kind of have, you know, I made this career change and got over to the standard size. And I would say um, the other thing that's been a huge impact or a huge aha to me getting into this side of the business is to see again how many enablers there are. So it was one thing when, you know, 20 years ago, you kind of just built a website and went direct to consumer. Today, to see how much of an enablement community is out there to support these sellers, whatever platform or, or channel they're in. Like Megan said earlier, it's a science. and um, But there are experts in, in in every facet, and it's been really amazing to me. I can tell you the, um, you know, companies like yours, you, you solve for a very specific problem that is is pretty incredible. Um, this whole Amazon seller and enablement community that Megan and I have been engaging with—it's amazing. Um, we love the feeling of the camaraderie that exists and the common goal that, like enablers like you have, and the sellers. There's a common goal, and that's just to sell more stuff, you know. And that's kind of an old retail axiom. But um, you know, our goal is to make sure GS1 US is positioned in this community. Um, with an easy to understand and accessible solutions that will help your, all these sellers scale and grow beyond their expectations. And that's really what our goal is.
0: Well, and Shane, I'm like you. I started working pre or very early Internet. There was no e-commerce. And I, I always tell people that Amazon is the most powerful business incubator in the history of the world. Because you can literally launch a private label product for a few thousand dollars, test it, and see if people will buy it. It's incredible and And when you think back twenty years, there was no equivalent for any of that. You couldn't no. do any of that and and it was it's hard to get into retail now. It was even harder to get into retail then, and there were fewer options. So it was just like you are too now what what we do with project retail, we take the data from selling on Amazon and use that as a proof point. And go to retailers so we can say people have bought this. Let us show you all of our day. It's awesome, right? right? But but in the past, how would you even do so? Yeah, it's it's shocking how much things have changed since you know the dial-up with all the <laughs> um, <laughs> back at the beginning of my career. And we have a follow-up question from Lydia which I I love this question because there's like a little laughing emoji at the end. Um, How big of a company would you need to have to get into wholesale distribution or even brick and mortar? Or is that a difficult question to answer? So brick and mortar, you can get into brick and mortar with two or three SKUs. However, what makes you attractive is if you have five to 10 Um, more than that is too much. If you're like a little guy breaking in, and a lot of times they'll test with one product or two products, but they, you got to show them five or six because they have to know that if the two are successful, you've got more. Um, they don't want one-off people. Now, as far as wholesale and distribution, if you have sexy cool products, you only need two or three for a wholesaler distributor to want them. If they're sexy and cool, if they're not sexy and cool, not so much, you know, they're looking for a volume, but if, if you've got something really neat or that you've got like a brand partnership with someone that's amazing. I've talked to lots of Amazon sellers who will take a product that's kind of generic-y and then they'll get it licensed with a cool brand on it. It only takes one of those to get into a wholesale catalog, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, It's a weird world, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. It really is. And thanks for the questions, Lydia. I love getting questions live. Okay, so if people want to know more about GS1, they have questions, um, they want to get in touch, they want to talk to someone about whether they should buy a single or a pack of 10. Um, how do they get in touch and what do they do?
2: Yeah, so so there's a couple ways uh, folks can reach us. Number one, you can come to our website, gs1us.org. Lots of resources on there. Um, we do have a, a full learning management system that can you know provide some great resources for folks. Um, You can also connect with us uh, via Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter um, to to learn more. You know, our member services team, again, we have a phone number and email, which we'll we'll get into the notes so that people can just access that right there. Um, One thing we also wanted to let people know is we do have our own podcast called Next Level Supply Chain, which you can access anywhere you stream your podcast. That really dives into, uh, you know, a lot of the different facets facing people in the supply chain today.
1: Yeah. And, and, and a big part of the supply chain today, we, they talk about all facets. There is, there's quite a bit of Amazon content on there. So they do host different people, you know, agencies or um, consultants. It's pretty interesting. So.
0: I bet it is, you know, anything supply chain, there's just so much to talk about right now. It's, it's absolutely endless. The, the, from the buyer side to the seller side, the brands, the retailers, and everyone in between. So I'm sure there's a lot of great content there. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. This has been awesome. I've loved talking to both of you.
1: This has been awesome for us.
0: Thank you absolutely for having us. Yeah, so everyone out there who made it all the way to the end, be sure and do all the things you need to like and subscribe and follow depending on which platform you're on. Uh, Give us a review somewhere. We would absolutely love that. If you have any follow-up questions for me or for Shane and Megan, just throw them into the comments. We monitor them all the time. It doesn't matter if you're watching months later, we will still answer you. Um, So I hope to see you all again here uh, next week and for some for some more hot fresh amazon content and until then happy selling
1: thank you